please open your scriptures again to that passage in Luke 7 that we read a little bit ago. While on the trip to Panama, amongst many other things, I needed to write this sermon for this morning. Uh, not being in my normal library, didn't have any books with me. Only one, truthfully. And it was a new book by an author by the name of David Brooks. And the title of it is How to Know a Person. The subtitle is The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen. In that book, he makes this statement. No crueler punishment can be devised than to not see someone, to render them unimportant or invisible. To do that is to say this, you don't really matter. You don't exist. On the other hand, there are a few things as fulfilling as the, that sense of being seen and understood. In 2021, the McKinsey Group did a study asking managers why their employees were quitting the firm. Most of the managers, when asked that question, they believed that people were leaving their firm and going somewhere else because they wanted more money. But then the firm went not just asked the managers, they asked the employees themselves, why are you leaving the firm? And the top, all of the top reasons were relational, not financial. They didn't feel recognized or valued by their managers or the organizations. As one put, person put it, they didn't feel seen. That truth that David Brooks brings out and that survey brings out is vividly portrayed in the blockbuster movie in 2009, Avatar. It's a story about two completely different kinds of people. Almost, you'd say, different species of people. There are the human beings and another group of people, a blue group of people called the Navi. The humans want the Navi's planet because the resources on Earth are running out and they want to take their planet over to take their resources for their own. And of course, the financial gain that goes with it. But the Navi people are at odds with that because they are at one with their planet and they want their planet to remain unhurt and unexplored in that sense. Through the movie, there is a series of events and Jake, who is a human guy who is crippled on both feet, is placed in this container, as it were, with the technology they have in the movie. And he's able to take the form of a Navi man. And, but it's his mind that's in that body. And while he's doing that, he meets a Navi girl named Natiri. They get to know each other, and eventually she takes him back to their people and allows him, and the chief gives him permission to live with them. And while the, he's there, he begins to form relationships. And she teaches him about the way that Navi people have relationships, and it's formed in one little phrase. And throughout the movie, they say it constantly, I see you. In fact, there's emotion with it. She goes like this, and then she points to his heart. She means, I see you. And in Navi, it means more than just seeing the person physically or they're outside. It means that you really see them. 
You really see beyond the exterior and all that. You see them as a person. You see them deeply. You see them beyond the differences. And she says, I see you, Jake. I see you for who you really are. And despite all the differences, I still see you. Have you ever had someone in your life that could really and did really see you? It makes a difference. It really does. It did for me. I don't remember a lot about most of my teachers uh, that I had in school growing up. Really, truthfully, all of my teachers beyond before sixth grade, I don't remember any of them. But I remember one, my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. O'Brien. Her husband, he owned the shoe store in my little hometown, Finley, Ohio. I remember her. I remember being in her class. I remember wanting to go to school in sixth grade when I never wanted to go to school before. But I thought more about it on my trip, and I thought, you know what? I don't remember any particular thing that Mrs. O'Brien ever said to me. In fact, truthfully, as I thought more about it, I don't remember anything special, per se, that she had did done for me. But I remembered what it was like going into her class. We had a big class, a lot of students, but I never felt like I was just a number for her. She didn't make me feel like I was unimportant or invisible. Somehow... And just the way she talked to you and most of all looked at you, you knew this, you mattered to her. I felt the same way about my high school basketball coach, Coach Jim. We just called him Coach. He was not, honestly. He wasn't the best at X's and O's. He wasn't the greatest coach about strategy and basketball itself. Oh, but Coach Jim saw me. He really did. In fact, he saw me and he communicated to me because on a regular basis, he would call me son. And he would tell me, Lance, I love you. But see, Mrs. O'Brien was really sweet and all that, but Coach Jim, he wasn't as sweet. But he saw me. And he always told me the things that I didn't want to hear. And he was always pushing me to do everything that I should be, especially as a basketball player under his you know, authority. He was screaming to me while I played basketball, always on my case about things, in a, in a good way, of course. One time, we're playing this team. It's a home game, and it's packed. We were undefeated, and we were playing a, a really big team that was great. Their school was way bigger than ours, and it was a close game, and it wasn't one of my best games by any stretch. So I remember standing at middle court, and you know, here he is sitting maybe where Chris Carpenter is right there, and he's sitting there. And he's talking to me, and he gets to stand, and I made another mistake. And he gets up, and he stands up, and he says, Walker! Like that, really loud. And he says it so loud that he had, he was only like in his 30s, but he had false teeth. (laughs) And he said it so loud and so strong that when he did, he spit it out, and his whole denture set flew out in the air and landed by my feet. On center court, and he's, he's still angry. He goes, time out. He walks up on the court, grabs his teeth, shoves them in his mouth. He goes, get, the ball, get that ball in place, son. I never forgot that. Uh, Coach Jim could see me. I wish I would never seen that, but he could see me. Do you see people like that? Do you only see their differences or their downfalls? Or do you see them deeply? 
Gospelizers have gospel eyes, like Jesus. See, he saw people differently because he saw people deeply. Luke's gospel is filled, and I mean it, filled with I see you stories about how Jesus sees people and in how he sees people changes their lives. Luke 5.27, it says, and he passed by a tax collector, Levi, and he saw him. The Bible says he saw him. He said, follow me. And Jesus, with his gospel gaze, was enough to transform him, to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. He, in chapter 7, he saw the widow of Nain. Widows were not very highly respected in culture and uh, they were almost outcasts in some degrees in and of themselves. This woman's son had died, and with him all of her future plans and hopes, because without a son and without a husband, she had no way to provide for herself. No one wanted to have anything to do with that. But Jesus did. He stops by, he stops the funeral procession, raises her son from the dead, and says, and when he saw her, he had compassion on her. Oh, Jesus stood by, And I passed through and saw a sycamore tree when I was in Jericho. Probably not the one that Zacchaeus obviously climbed up and through. But Jesus was going through town that day. And he was going to be with all the people. And they had a special dinner for him. But he was the honored guest. But he changed all of his plans. Stops under the the, the sycamore tree and looks and says, and he saw Zacchaeus. He says, come down because I have to stay at your house today. Oh, he sees people changes their lives he saw the poor widow in Luke 21 it says he saw the rich people and putting all their money into the trumpet shaped receptacles in the temple and they're loading them up and he sees this little woman poor by herself a widow and with two little mites which would be more than just a penny or two in our currency oh he sees the two and he compares and contrasts them and he says you see this woman she put in more than all of them Oh, see, he honors her. You know why? Because he sees what no one else sees. And then we get to our text. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 through 50, he sees this city woman, but he sees her differently. He sees her completely different. The first time I preached this text many years ago, I did a contrast between Simon the Pharisee and the city woman. But today is different. I want you to see this text a little differently. Today, I want to highlight the contrast between how Simon the Pharisee sees this woman and how Jesus sees this woman because they are contrasts, a study in contrasts. But as we're doing this, I want you to ask yourself this question. How do you see sinners? See, our theme this year is gospelize, reaching people who are lost all kinds of people who are lost. And we have to start with this, not the outside with some technique, but on the inside. How do we see sinners? Do we see them, Luke wants us to know, will we see them through Simon's eyes? Or will we see them through Jesus' eyes? Because that will determine whether we have gospel eyes or not. If you read the entirety of Luke's gospel, you'll find that Luke and only John are the gospel writers to use this identity marker that labels this woman in our text, and that is sinner. Luke, more than John, uses it. In fact, Luke in this book uses it twice, in particular for two stories that he wants to tell. One of them about is a woman sinner. That's our text today. 
And the other one is a man sinner, and that is Zacchaeus. And they are almost like brackets in this book because Jesus wants to say, listen, it doesn't matter who you're talking with. It doesn't matter what the conversation is. If it's a man or a woman, if, the one, if they're really awful people, they're outcasts. Here's what Jesus says. I want you to learn to see sinners like I see sinners. So we're only going to do two things in this text today, and they are polar opposites. We are going to learn how to miss-see people. And then we're going to have, on the other side of it, how to deeply see people. Those are our two things. So let's unpack them one at a time. How to miss-see people. I call this having Simon's eyes. Let me set the scene for you because there's a lot of pieces here that won't make any sense to you unless you are able to put it all together. You have to know, first of all, what are Pharisees like? Simon's a Pharisee. In fact, he's a named Pharisee, which doesn't happen very often, and that's pretty important. Notoriously, Pharisees in Jesus' day were incredibly self-righteous. They thought they were better than everybody else. They were considered most religious people. But they, in Jesus' words, were very critical. In fact, Jesus regularly criticized them. In fact, more than almost any other group that he ever came in contact with. Most Pharisees didn't want anything to do with Jesus unless they had an opportunity to oppose him. The exceptions being Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who are named Pharisees. But Simon is also named, which means this, that he's not like most of the other Pharisees. See, Simon is a little bit different. Um, He is positive, at least at starting out with Jesus. And he invites him into his home. It says it twice, the opening two verses. Luke wants us to know that he's having him into, and that may not seem to be a big deal to you, but hospitality in the ancient Near East was very important. And when welcoming into your house, you are saying this, I want to know more about you. I want to become your friend. And at least it started out that way for him. But this table, this woman, this, this whole scene how did she even get in there? How did she come and see Jesus? How did she barge in to Simon's house? How did it work? Well, if you know anything about first century homes, especially of a Pharisee who was probably pretty wealthy to be able to have a meal like this, he had a large house, and inside every house that was large had a courtyard. And when he had a major meal, it was known by everybody because you read the end of our text and everybody knew about this woman. He knew, and she heard that Jesus was going to be there. That's how she got in there to begin with. So everybody knew that Jesus was in town that day and she wanted to see him, but it wasn't going to be easy because women were not allowed in there and uh, not, not to sit at the table or to talk or have conversations, but people from the community could come. And if you went into the courtyard, which was fairly large, they could probably fit 30, 40, maybe even 50 people in the courtyard. And they had large windows looking into the main a place where everyone ate. And so you could stand outside the windows. You couldn't go in. You couldn't participate in the conversation, but you could watch and you could look and you could listen. In that room was a triclinium. A triclinium was a Roman-style table. It was a U-shaped table. And the one end was open because all the servants would come from what we would call the kitchen, and they would come in, and they would come into the open end, and they would serve everyone at the table. They did not have tables and chairs. Their tables were very low to the ground. We've portrayed that in our dramas here many times. They did not sit on chairs. They were pillows. They rested their elbows on them. Their feet were pushed back like this, and they laid on the ground, and people would come in and serve them. 
at the table that day, Jesus would have been to the right of Simon. So imagine this dialogue not taking place from me across the table, but Simon and Jesus right next to one another. That day, a lot of people would be coming in and out of the room to serve food and and beverage and all kinds of things, and there would have been women doing that. She would have been able to get in perhaps to another way and walked into the room as another woman perhaps being a servant, but she was there for a completely different reason. Luke calls her this, a woman of the city. Literally in the original language, she's a city woman. And when you put that together with the fact that she is called a sinner, you know exactly what she is. She's a prostitute. You know that even further because while she is worshiping Jesus, she lets her hair down and Middle Eastern culture as a Jew, you never, as a woman in public, put your hair down. It was always kept up. It always had, you know, it's all covered up as well. And to let it open was only something you did at home in your house with your husband, no one else ever. For her to do that was publicly a shame to her and for touching Jesus, a shame to him. She also had around her neck, Luke tells us, an alabaster box. It was a small flask with a very long skinny neck she wore it probably on some sort of rope around her neck and as a prostitute it was how she made a living Uh, she had to smell beautiful and she would take a drop or two because it was very expensive and very potent and she would wear it and attract people and that's how she used it that day she takes her flask out and doesn't drop a drop or two on Jesus she breaks the neck off and she pours it all on him which would have been about an entire year's wage. Imagine what you make in a year poured out on someone in a moment. Luke wants you to see her. He wants you to see how Simon sees her. And to draw your attention, he actually uses two visual words, one obvious, one not so, but they actually are the same exact word. In verse 37, it reads, and behold, and that word means this, look at this, look at her, pay attention to this. It's the same word used in verse 39, in standing, it says in verse 39, now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. See, he's looking, he's looking at her, he's looking at the whole situation, and he's seeing things. He sees this woman, the crowd sees this woman, and all that he can see is all the bad things she's done. In fact, he calls her a sinner. In fact, Luke calls her, or what the people would have labeled her a sinner, Simon calls her a sinner in his mind. A sinner was not just someone theologically who did bad things, wrong things, immoral things, and she had done that. In fact, she had done it a lot because at the end it says, her sins which are many, Jesus says. So this wasn't a person who had been a a prostitute for a week or two or a month or two. It's probably years, maybe the vast majority of her life. Sinner was also a term three times in Luke to describe tax collectors. Pharisees used to say that the worst three things in the world that you could be would be a prostitute a tax collector or a gentile they were considered the lowest of the low it was not just though a theological designation it was a social designation it was not just that you are a sinner meaning a bad person you are part of a class of people you are in a group of people we would say this oh yeah those kind of people that's who she was see she was unclean she was the lowest of the low. 
She was an outsider, not an insider. And her label was, like the woman who wore the scarlet letter, she was a sinner. But what you find in the story is, in verse 38, that she is at his feet, reclining, because Jesus' feet are kicking behind him, right? So she comes up behind him, and she does three things. She's weeping, she's wiping, and she's worshiping. All three at the same time. She lets her hair down. You know why? Because that day, she knows Jesus sees her, and it changes everything. And so she doesn't care whether it's shameful. She doesn't care what anyone else says. And she does it. She touches him and all the things going on. And it makes him, according to Simon, unclean. In verse 39, the Pharisee that invited him saw this. And the first thing he does is the Bible says he speaks to himself. There are three people who speak to themselves in Luke's gospel. And what it means is you're looking at the situation and you're coming to conclusions. You're making a series of evaluations. Today we would say this, Simon is sizing her up. You know what he is because he says if Jesus really was a prophet, he didn't just say he would know who she is. Do you see it? But it says what sort of woman she is. What sort of woman. He's sizing her up. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen someone that was so different from you, so out there, and maybe some of the things that make them different are bad things, maybe even sinful things, and you size them up? You know, I had practiced this message. I was trying to do it all week long for everybody in Panama that I met. So I get on the plane, and I sit down, and this guy comes up, and he sits in front of me. So he's standing there, getting his luggage put up in there, and... I was tempted to size him up. He had tattoos everywhere, multiple earrings, piercings on his face. He had green plaid pants that I thought were brightened by battery power. He had a red and black rose petal shirt on. He wore a very distinguishedly, very colorful woman's scarf around his head and down his clothes. Um, He had a distinctive, very strong beard and mustache all at the same time. And I'm watching him and I'm thinking of that Geico commercial. Do you remember when Dr. Rick says, and they're in the store, we all see it. We all see it. And the kid guy goes, he has blue hair. I felt like, oh, we all see it. I'm trying not to make too much out of it. But we size them up. Sizing someone up is what you do first when you see someone for the first time and you meet them. You check out what they look like. And then you do this. You immediately start making judgments about them. I saw his clothes and his hair and all the things. And you know what? It's not, it's very easy. It would have been very easy to start making judgments about him. Oh, he must be that sort of guy. (laughs) And when you do that, you do what one author I read this week calls stacking. You know what stacking is? Stacking is when the practice of learning one thing about a person, and then because of the one thing you learn, you make a whole series of further assumptions about them. Well, so, I, so I learned one thing about this guy. I know how he dresses. So it would be easy to say, well, because if he dresses that way, I bet he does this, and I bet he does this, and I bet he believes this, and I bet he's this. Have you ever done that? If a person, you ever seen someone, oh, they, they are 
supporters of that political person? They voted for Trump or they voted for Biden. Well, I know what that means. They also must be, and we stack it up. If that person has a lot of tattoos or other things, we also must think, well, if they have tattoos, then they must do this and they must be this. And they, if that, you see a person and they have a certain kind of car, very expensive, and they live in this neighborhood and have a house and they have this job, and you see, you see that, you learn that thing about them, you must say, oh, well, they, I know what they think about money. I bet they're, you know, and they, I know what they see about worldly things. We stack it up. See, Simon's sizing her up. But see, when we size up and we stack up, we rarely speak up the gospel. Because sizing up only sees the outside and most times leave off completely about the inside. See, it's tempting to see people's deeds without seeing their needs. One last point under how we miss see people. Did you notice in the story that Simon not only missees the woman, but he missees Jesus. Did you see that? And that's vital. You know why? As I studied this week, because they're connected. He says, oh, and his thoughts, see, he's looking at this woman, and then he thinks this, ah, if Jesus was really a prophet, see, he would know that this woman's a prostitute, and he would never have let her touch him. You know what he thinks about Jesus? Number one, he thought, well, at first, he must only be a prophet. He was wrong. He doesn't know really who Jesus is. He thinks he's a prophet, and now he thinks he's not even that, probably, because he's letting this kind of woman touch him. But see, he's wrong. And Jesus is going to tell him how wrong he is. You know what? He's going to tell him, Simon, I'm more than a prophet. I'm God. You know how he does it in the text? Because he pronounces this woman forgiven. They all say, what is this man that he says that he can forgive sins? Because he's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's God. And Simon thinks, well, if he would have known that, because a prophet would have known that, and and he's going to show him, I do know that, and that's why I'm letting her do it. And he says, I also know you because I'm God, Simon. You know why? Because I can read your thoughts. That's why he gives the parable of the two debtors, because he wants Simon to know, I know exactly what you're thinking. I can see how you're sizing her up, and and at the same time, now you're sizing me up. He goes, I know it. Simon, I'm way more than a prophet. I'm God. Can I tell you this? You'll never see others rightly until you see Jesus rightly. If you miss see Jesus, you will miss see sinners. And let me go a little bit further. And at times you will mistreat them. You don't think it's true? Luke also writes a story that you're very familiar in his gospel. In chapter 10, he tells the story of three men that were going down a road one day. One was a Levite, one was a priest. And one was a Samaritan. And obviously the hero of the story to everyone listening when Jesus introduces it is not that somehow it's going to be the Samaritan because he'd be the last one to be the hero. But Jesus makes him the hero, often did, because two men, the Levi and the priest, probably coming back from working at the temple, you know the story, they come across a road, the man is laying there half dead. And on all three of the occasions, it, Luke says this, and they saw him. 
It wasn't that they didn't all see him. They did. The point is they didn't see him the same way. See, the religious guy goes by and neither one of them do anything. You know why? Because they only saw surface. They saw what it would mean for them, the trouble it would mean, the difficulty, maybe even the danger. But the Samaritan, he comes by. He's different. See, he sees people differently. The other two really mistreat him because they don't see him rightly. They leave a half-dead guy on the side of the road. And they don't, they, to him, those two guys, the guy on the road is unimportant. He is invisible. They pass him by. Yeah, they may leave and not do anything, and he may die. But because of how they see him, they're okay with it. But not the Samaritan. He gives money, he gives time, he gives himself. You see in our story, Simon's that religious guy. You know what, think of this, maybe that's you. You're that religious person. You come to church, you may follow Jesus, but that doesn't guarantee that you see people. It doesn't guarantee that you have gospel eyes. You can walk by the road, let me say it to you, you can walk by the cubicles, you can walk by your co-workers, you can walk by your neighbors, and you know that they're dying without Christ on their way to hell for eternity, and somehow we can pass by, and we don't do anything. We don't build relationships for the gospel, we don't talk to them, we don't work into their lives so that we can give them the good news. Jesus says, Simon, because you don't see me well, You mistreated me. Did you see the contrast? Simon, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. She did. (laughs) Do you see that? He doesn't see him, Jesus, right, or the woman right. And it shows by how he treats them. He didn't kiss them. He didn't do anything for his feet. He He didn't give any expense. He really wasn't welcoming him. But this woman, see, she saw Jesus differently. And it made a difference. All the things that Simon did. Did you see the contrast? Simon, you did not do this, but she did it. You didn't do this, she did it. What's the point of that? Simon saw the woman and Jesus differently. He missees them and he mistreats them. But I got to tell you something sinister. It's not just that we missee strangers or lost people. Can I give a little aside today? Also, we do this to people we know. At times, even the best people. Sometimes we missee our spouse. We missee children. We missee friends. We missee church members. Oh, see, we see them, but we don't really see them. Our eyes are open. It's not that we ignore them altogether, but we don't really see them deeply. Mark Schultz, a number of years ago, wrote a song Do you even know me anymore? The lyrics are telling about how he saw his wife and his son and himself, but never really saw them. It's cold tonight, I heard her say. She was staring out the window as I came home late. She tried to smile but look away. Oh, I could see the tears. I could see the tears rolling down her face. She said, you go to work, you pay the bills, I stay at home, I make the meals. Listen, but you don't even know who I am anymore. 
You're a million miles away, though I see you every day. Oh, their relationship, they lived in the same house. They were close in that way. They saw each other. He saw her tears, but it never moved him to do anything about it. She saw him, but it was like he was a million miles away. Oh, he says, I turned around to see my son. Oh, I remember her first bir- his, first, his first birthday. Now he's 21. Listen to this. I missed his life. I missed it all. Oh, to him I was a man just living down the hall. I learned to live without you, Dad, but I'd give it all just to have you back. But you don't even know who I am anymore. See, we can do that to people that we sit next to, live with. We don't even see them anymore at all. At all. Just like that, we can stop having gospel eyes. We don't see our family members. We don't see our friends. We don't see our neighbors. Oh, we see them, but we've really stopped seeing them. See, to stop seeing others, wrong, to stop seeing others wrongly, you must start seeing Jesus rightly. You must first see Jesus, and then by him you will be able to see everyone else. So the first point is how not to see people, and that's like Simon. To only see the outside, the deeds, not the greatest part, the inside. See, how you see people can change their lives forever. Dr. Ludwig Gutmann was a German Jew, and he escaped Nazi Germany in 1939. He fled to Britain, Great Britain or England, and he started working in a hospital there. And he started working with paraplegic men who had become so because of the war. When he got there, the hospital cared for paraplegic men by this way, constantly heavy sedating them that they were hardly ever awake. And when they were, they were confined to their beds, and that's all that they did. Gutman decided that he would see the patients differently than all the other doctors. So he got permission to cut back on the sedatives, forced them to be awake longer, And then he made them get out of bed. And when they were getting out of bed, he started throwing balls to them. And they would hit them and they would just roll on the floor and they would do nothing. But he would pick them up and throw them at them again, over and over again, until they would participate. As a result, all the doctors who were his peers in the hospital got together with him and said, what are you doing? Nobody's doing this. What do you think's happening? And one doctor spoke up and said, these are nothing more than just cripples. Who do you think that they really are? Dr. Gutman said, they are the best of men. That's who they are. So despite what his peers said, he kept going. He kept getting them out of bed. He kept throwing balls at them. And eventually, they caught on. He started making games, actual games that they could play and putting it together. And that event or that effort totally changed the way all of these men, these paraplegic men, were defining themselves. It changed them altogether. It became so powerful that he became the first hospital in the world to have a program like this. But it spread. And by 1960, he had started the Paralympics. He changed people's lives. You know what it started with? He saw them completely different. See, Simon saw the city woman 
And to him, she was nothing more than just a spiritual cripple. Simon's saying in his mind, Jesus, who do you think she really is? You know what Jesus says? Oh, I know who she is. She's a woman forgiven by my grace. One of the powerful lines in this whole story is verse 44. When Jesus looks at Simon, I'm sorry, looks at the woman and turns to Simon. See, he's now changed the whole view, the whole story. Luke wants you to say, hey, I've shown you what Simon says she is how he sees her. But I, I want Jesus, he's going to turn away. And now he's going to look at this woman, but he's going to talk to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, I see her physically, but I don't really see her. Because if you did, you would see more than just a sinner. Yes, Jesus doesn't deny that. He doesn't try to cover it up. In fact, at the end, he says, yeah, she's a really bad sinner. And she's the one in the story who has the greater debt of the two debtors. But she's also the greater lover as well. See, Simon only saw her as a sinner, but Jesus saw her more deeply. He saw her as a sinner in need of forgiveness. He saw a person who was an outsider that Jesus was going to make an insider. We had a Bible study in Panama, and all the people were in there. Two people stood out to me beyond everybody else. One was a guy that was completely albino. Now, if you know all the Panamanians, they are very dark. This guy was completely white. He was more pale than actually me. (laughs) So one time we're having a lesson, and I tried to make them very interactive, and I told them this story. And I went up to there and asked permission, and I'd like to make a point of it. Can I ask you some questions personally in front of everybody? So I went up to him and I said, you know, everyone in here is brown or dark brown. I go, you're white. (laughs) He laughed like he didn't know, right? See, he's albino. I said, what is it like to be different? What is it like to stand out? And when you walk in the room, everyone looks at you. Now, they do that for me because I was one of the only white guys there. But his whiteness was different even than mine. And he began to tell me about the story about that and what it meant to be an albino in a, in a race of people that everyone's dark, and how people saw him, and how coming into this group that everyone treats him completely the same, they see him far deeper than the color of his skin. Boy, I wish we could do that in America, huh? Then I went up to a girl, and she was very young. I found out later she was 21. But from the very beginning of the week, and this was Thursday, I had noticed her, and she was one of the few women there that had a child with her. It was a young girl, maybe six, maybe, I'm guessing. But the other people had children. They had husbands and wives together. She did not. So I went up to her, and I said, could you tell me the story, all of us the story? And I think some of them did not know. They weren't all from the same island. So she told the story that when she was 14, she got pregnant, and she had a child. And that little girl was there. Her name was Megan. And she said, immediately when my family found out that I was pregnant, they wanted me to have an abortion. Because when I told them I was pregnant, they saw me completely different. They weren't happy. And they wanted me to get rid of it because they didn't see the baby as a welcome thing in their home. She said, but as time passed... 
My parents prayed about it and talked about it. And she said, they totally changed. They saw me completely different. They accepted me, welcomed me, and they saw my child differently. And they told me it was because of Jesus. She said, I knew who Jesus was. I'd heard it from my family. She goes, but I never really followed him. She goes, but when they saw me different, I began to see myself and all the things I've done as Jesus saw me. She goes, it changed my life. She goes, I've committed to follow Jesus now. And not very long ago, she's 21, I just got married. And now my baby has a son, a father. My whole life has changed. You know how it happened? Because someone saw her deeply. Someone saw her completely different than that. See, Jesus did that. He didn't just see her sin. He saw her faith, the faith to believe in him. She said, I'm going to come to this guy. He can make it all better. He can give me forgiveness. See, she was called a sinner. Do you know I read the Gospels, all of them, many times? There's only one person who is called a sinner twice in one paragraph. It's this woman, twice. But you know, there's one person who in one story was called a sinner three times. Do you know who it was? Jesus. In John 9, when the Pharisees were asking the blind man how he got saved, they kept calling him, hey, we know he's a sinner. He can't be from God. Three times in the text, he's a sinner. See, Jesus knows what it's like to be called a sinner. He knows what it's like for people to look at you and put labels on you and start stacking up assumptions about you. Jesus knew all of that. You know why? Because that's why he came. The gospels say that he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can you see Calvary maybe a little bit differently? Jesus says, I'm going to forgive her. How could he say that? Because he was going to die on the cross for sinners like her. Jesus is saying on the cross to all of us today, you know what he's saying? I see you. I see you. Do you know why I'm here? Do you know why my body looks this way? Do you know why I was tortured and beaten this way? Do you know why I'm crucified? This is what you look like. This. And he says, I see you. I see you. But the cross also says this, and I want you to see me. Do you see me with all of this? This is for you. I see you. And I don't turn away. I don't walk by. I don't make assumptions. I know everything about you. And that's why I'm on this cross. There's an old song. And the verse goes like this. I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary. To view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. See, Jesus says, I see you. You know, this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you this? He sees you. He sees you in ways that no one else can see you. He sees you and still loves you. And he says, I have forgiveness for you too, just like this woman. I see you. I see the things you're hiding. I see the mask you're wearing. I see the facade that you've put up so no one could really look into you deeply. But I have, and I still love you. 
and I died for sinners like you. He says, I can do that for you. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning. Can I tell you this? You know Jesus sees you. And despite all your failures and all of our sins, he still uses us, wants to use us. See, he not only can do that for lost people, he can do that through saved people. He can. I would love this year in 2020 for us to have service after service of people from Faith Baptist Church standing up and telling I see you stories about how this year they changed the way they looked at people and how they gospel gazed at people because they have gospel eyes and they see them differently. See, they say, Jesus, I know you see me. But here's what I'm doing this year. I am going to see others differently because it. Because you see me, by you, I will see everyone else. Will that be you this year? Gospelizers have gospel eyes. How do you see sinners? It could change their life for eternity. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. In just a couple minutes, we'll welcome a few people into our membership. Before we do... Would you be here this morning under the sound of God's word? Would you say, Pastor Walker, for the first time in my life, I know this, Jesus sees me, deeply sees me. He's looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. My need is salvation. My need is forgiveness, just like that woman I've never come to Jesus for that. I I don't have a relationship with him. But now that I know he sees me, I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to give my life to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be someone here this morning, would you raise, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I know he sees me. And now I want to see him and give my life completely to him. I want to know his forgiveness, his salvation. Pray for me that I might come to know him as my Lord. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you in a moment as we close. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. And I see your hand in the balcony. Thank you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're a Christian. Have you closed your gospel eyes? Have you stopped seeing people as Jesus sees them? Is it just really a cash register person that's all they are? The waiter who waits on you, is that all they are? Your neighbors or just people who live next door, is that all you see them as? The coworker that you've sat next to for years had so many conversations, is that all they are? Or can you see deeper? Can you see more? Do you see, do you stack? Because if you do, you're missing people, perhaps maybe mistreating people. This year, Pastor Walker, I know Jesus sees me. And by Jesus, I want to see everyone else differently. I want to give them the gospel. I want to love them. I don't care what they look like, what they've done. I want to see them as Jesus sees them. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? And I'll pray for you. All over. All over. Anyone else? Hands, many hands, thank you. Anyone else? Father, you have seen hands, you see hearts, you see us today.
I pray for those who have seen and understood this fact that you see them and you died for them, that they raise their hand, that they might come to know you. God, help them to stop by, talk with us, that they might have life in your name. Father, I pray for Christians who raise their hands, but they don't have gospel eyes. Please open their eyes that they might see people like Jesus sees them, and it might make a difference in their lives for eternity. Use this in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.